The Sunday Grill with Crane and Crane Insurance. To compare motor and home insurance quotes across multiple different insurers, see craneandcrane.ie. Well, my first guest this morning became the accidental guardian of one of Ireland's most important heritage sites. Maeve O'Connell and her husband Joe were buying a farm in County Kilkenny when the discovery was made that it even has links to Santa Claus himself. Maeve from Jerpoint Park is here this morning to tell us more. You're very welcome to the Sunday Grill, Maeve. Good morning, Orla. What a story. So what, you were just buying a farm to work on that farm? It is still a working farm. We bought a farm um, to live in it as a family home. And um, then we we knew there was we knew there was heritage. Um, but the the depth uh, and the importance of the heritage uh, site was just uh, phenomenal. So we opened it up in actually it's 10 years now. Uh, this year, we opened it up to the public and it has gone from strength to strength because what we have is the footprints of a medieval town. Mm-hmm. The town was called Newtown Point. Okay. And then we have the tomb effigy of St. Nicholas. And that is the saint that is so closely associated with no other than Santa himself. himself. Yeah. Or Santi, as we used to call him. Um, I used to pass Point a lot on before the bypass to Dublin from Washford on a... A bad bend there. Is that how we would describe uh, where it is? We're actually between Mount Juliet Hotel and Jerpoint Abbey. Okay. When did it start to become apparent to you that you had something special on the farm in um, Kilkenny? I'd say straight away because the Heritage Council of Ireland approached us and asked, would we open it up? And it took um, probably about a year, year and a half for that to happen. And uh, then... Uh, we were approached by a tour company um, to know could they bring a coach load of tours because um, it's it's a very serene, beautiful surrounding area of countryside. And we just opened it up to the public, to that first tour operator as well and to the general public. And as I said, it went from strength to strength. And word of mouth is actually a great, um, a great tool, Orla. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very simply told the, the story. Very, very simply told. It's guided. Every tour is guided. Um, and it's, it's amazing. And what's brilliant about it is that we're after being awarded a scholarship or fellowship. And it's over a five year term. It's called the Welsh uh, fellowship mm. and it's um, it's funded by Chagas in partnership with UCD Archaeology and the Heritage Council of Ireland. A student has been chosen to do his PhD on site and there'll be a lot of research um, plus a lot of um, practical uh, geophysics survey um, and possibly more lighters as well. So it is really exciting uh, for Point Park at the moment. Of course, we have no visitors from abroad here in Ireland at the moment. Is it a place that you found in the past that was very much an attraction for visitors who are not from Ireland? Yeah, we have because especially the Canadians and Americans, they just love the Irish heritage Mm -hmm. and they love a story being told to them as well. Um, now, we always uh, we got a, a small percentage of um, the Irish uh, market, but um, that has increased year on year mm-hmm. as well. And um, so, look, we're in uh, the pandemic at the moment and we have no foreign visitors, but we have uh, plenty of um, the domestic um, market as well. Brilliant. 
Tell me about it. It's called the Lost Village of Jerpoint. Who lived there? Well, it, the town was actually formed in the 12th century. And it was uh, the town that served Jerpoint Abbey. Okay. And it was called Newtown Jerpoint. And Jerpoint is the Latin for the crossing of the water because just at the end of the farm, you have the River Nore. Mm-hmm. So it's not called after the abbey. It's called uh, Jerry Point for that reason. Um, it was striving in the 14th century. But by the end of the 16th into the 17th century, it started to wean. So was um, it people who worked in like it's kind of like a working village? Is that what it was? Well, they were self-sufficient. OK, but uh, more will be known, Orla, more will mm. be known with uh, this Welsh uh, fellowship. But they were all self-sufficient back then. You had 27 houses. It was a good sized town. There was about 150 to 175 occupants. OK, so it was a biggish uh, town. Um, you must remember you had your point, Abbey, there as well. That would have helped. There there's two rivers, actually, as well. You have the River Arigal and the River Nore. Mm. Um, so they would have farmed, they would have fished, and um, it, it was a bustling town. And then you must remember, back in medieval times, a relic of a famous saint was very important. Mm-hmm. And a lot of um, towns who had a relic, they ended up being a, like a tourist attraction, a medieval tourist attraction. Okay. So, so you had visitors coming. Yeah, okay. you had visitors coming uh, back in medieval times to visit the relics. And when you're saying a relic, that is the tomb of Saint Nicholas. Of Saint Nicholas is there in Jerpoint. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. back again to when you bought the land and you said you had mm-hmm. an inkling it was very mm-hmm. special. What what was there when you were walking the land and deciding on whether to buy it or not? Um, the cemetery was visible, but the church, the ruined church, was not because okay. it was covered with centuries of ivy. Now ivy. Is lovely. I, I'm a fan of ivy, but it can it can do two things. It can keep a structure together, or it can actually eat away at the mortar. Um, in the main body of the church, it kind of kept it together very well, but um, in the smaller part of the church, then you can see actually to this day you can see where the ivy dislodged. Some so you had to stones. uncover all that ivy. Oh yeah, a, a humongous amount of work has mm. been done. And if if you actually go onto our website, jerpointpark.com. Uh, there's before and after images and it's unrecognisable. So between 2006 and 2016, um, a lot of um, conservation um, and stabilisation took part there. And within that church, is that where the tomb of St. Nicholas was? It, just on the outskirts. Just on the outskirts. Just, just outside. And did yeah. you know all this beforehand or is it a case of taking down something and finding something and then Keep going with it. Well, as I mentioned um, already, the Heritage Council of Ireland have been absolutely fantastic and they have um, funded um, part of the conservation as well with us. Um, There is just um, two years after buying it, what was published was the conservation plan of Newtown Point, and it was uh, compiled by Oxford Archaeology in England. So a lot of research had been done by them. And that it but every day we wake up and there's another nugget of information um, being obtained. So it's absolutely fantastic. Like we have a World War One veteran as well. And the other day I was um, able to find out more information about him. Who lived on Jerpoint and on Jerpoint yeah, Park. Yeah, okay. yeah, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. And every three years a member of the Commonwealth War Graves Commission will come and inspect um, his um, tomb as well. Okay, his so his well. grave is yeah, there too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the house that you're living in at the moment, is that an important house on the land too? 
Uh, that was built approximately 1798 and it was built uh, for Lord Belmore, who was a uh, wealthy landlord in Northern Ireland, Castle Cool in Fermanagh. Mm. And he decided to come down south uh, for with uh, with his built his hunting lodge. Um, he started with the courtyard and where we live presently is actually was the servants' quarters. Okay. The main house was started, but it was never completed mm. and it was knocked back down into the basement. It was covered over and that's the way it has been since. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of little quirks with the house as well. It's a beautiful house to live in. Um, and you, you, every season tells a different story there. So in the winter, you have a lot more of uh, the river visible mm-hmm. in the spring, summer. Then you have a lot of the beautiful mature uh, trees in bloom. So it is idyllic. So you have um, guided tours, as you said. You also have tea rooms at Jerpoint Park. Is it still a working farm as well for it's you and your family? It's a working farm, absolutely. Okay. And uh, there's a sheepdog demonstrations as well, Orla. Okay. Um, because we have a, a sheep uh, on site and we decided to uh, show people how man and dog work together as mm-hmm. one. Okay, great. So you're back open We're after back lockdown open. Um, with restrictions in place, obviously, Absolutely. that we've Absolutely. seen across the country as uh, we start opening up again. Um, how has have things been since you've opened up again? Um, slow to start. Uh, we opened on the 29th of June, but it has picked up uh, enormously. Um, what I would ask people to do, if it's at all possible, is to pre-book. Okay. And because then I'd be able to have um, the contact tracing as well with uh, their number. Um, it has been wonderful. Uh, the Irish have really got behind um, promoting and uh, staying local. Um, and it's absolutely been wonderful uh, to meet um, all the Irish again. Brilliant. And I see on your website, lots of people mention your scones and the tea rooms Oh, yes, well. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so we, we um, with the tea rooms, we serve uh, tea and scones. Everything is homemade and light lunches as well and a few sweet treats. So everyone is catered for. OK, good stuff. Well, another thing to do is we staycation in Ireland in 2020. If you want to check out Jerpoint Park, it is jerpointpark.com. And Maeve, thank you so much for coming oh, in this thanks morning. thanks a million, Orla. Thank you. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Okay, let's talk journaling. Writing in a journal is something that I say I'm going to do at least every three months or so. Get past a day, don't do it again. And it has been proven that writing in a journal helps control your symptoms and improve your mood by helping you prioritise problems, fears and concerns. And someone who has been using a journal for many years is Denise Kenny Byrne. You might know her from Instagram. She's gained thousands of followers over the past few years, mostly for her down to earth attitude and tips on everything from beauty to hair. But it was certainly her honesty around her husband, Kieran's leukaemia diagnosis that endeared her to so many. Denise and her husband have started the Head Plan Method and the first product out of that is the Head Plan Journal. She spoke to Shona, as I said, a few weeks ago and she started off by telling her about her husband's diagnosis back in 2019. It's still so new and we're still in, he's still in follow-up. I say we a lot because I I feel like it's our uh, project, if you want to call it that. So I suppose I'll just take it back a little bit further, just for a bit of background, because I think it's a good insight um, in terms of listening to your body and things. And so that's quite an important message. So in 2018, um, it was an exceptionally busy year for us both. We got married in May 2018. We got married in Italy. It was absolutely 
fabulous weekend with all our friends and family. We had a fab time, but it was such a busy year. I had just landed what I would have considered at the time a dream job. Kieran's a serial entrepreneur and he just landed at the exact same time a place on an acceleration program. Kieran started to feel a little unwell, but like nothing out of the ordinary, so to speak, like he had a sore throat, dry cough. Um, he had like persistent infections pop up, but like we both put it down to the fact that he was just run down. We were really looking forward to going on honeymoon in January 2019. So the hard work didn't really bother us late 2018 because mm. we knew we were going to get the break. And when we went on honeymoon, um, Kieran was very tired, a lot more tired than, tired than normal. And he had like this, strange kind of complexion is the only way I could describe it almost like a yellowy colour and he was really out of breath I know we were going on walks we went to South Africa we were walking up um, Table Mountain he was really out of breath and I remember teasing and saying like this is what it's like to be nearly 40 and like we were having a laugh about it but like now I look back and I'm like oh my god all the signs were there yeah so we flew home on the 20th of January and he decided, look, I'm going to get a blood test done. Just He did this annual medical thing anyway. And he went and got his bloods done. And two hours later, they called him to go into the Matter Hospital. So this was two days after we landed from honeymoon, two days after his blood test. And he was basically told he had a really aggressive form of leukemia called acute myeloid leukemia. And... He couldn't go home that if he didn't start treatment straight away, he was looking at a life termination. So we essentially went from dream honeymoon to the Matter Hospital and six months essentially of treatment and a bone marrow transplant to get to where we are today. And I'm very happy to say that Kieran is doing so, so well oh, now. Brilliant. But it's been such... Uh, journey for us both and that's how we arrived now to the head plan. Kieran is my business partner in the head plan and it's something we're really passionate about. Um, so really what the head plan is or how it came about is, you know, when people are in hospital, people scramble, they don't know what gifts to buy and things like it's normal, yeah. like everybody does. Um, somebody bought me a blank notebook and... Um, I'd been writing a journal for years. It's something I really believe in. Even before Karen got sick, I really believe in manifesting and uh, visualizing. I meditate. I'm a big fan of the secret. Um, well, I suppose when Karen got sick, all my old journal went out the window. I'd only just set my goals for January and we were 22 days into January and it all went up in smoke. Um, so basically... The first round of chemo was pretty intense. He was in there for 35 days. I took that blank notebook out and we really mapped out where we wanted our life to be um, long term in five years. There was absolutely no doubt in our minds that Karen would get better. We visualized it every day. We both did meditations and we planned our long term goals around him being well around a number of different areas in our life. And it just really grew from there. And like we developed the head plan method. So it's basically a brand, a wellness brand that will be bringing out a number of products that will inspire you, motivate you, keep you focused to get to where you truly belong. And our first product, the head plan journal, 
um, which was really founded in that desperate time when Kieran was sick, um, is really the tool you need to get on top of where you really want to be. I feel like we can all run away aimlessly and just set our alarm on Sunday night, get up, go to work. Like, there's a lot of like just going about things, like not really living. I think sometimes what happens, I, I can only speak for myself, but I know that, you know, I have great intentions to make a plan and and mm. write out my goals and to, to, to try and work towards them, right? But yeah. then life is so busy. And as you say, you just keep going and you don't actually sit down and assess where you're at and actually think about, do you know what? This is what I really want. You know, you just get caught up and you you don't stop. Absolutely. And this this feeling of like constantly busy and on the run and we all have the same 168 hours in the week. Yeah. This is about taking time back. And I get people that mess me, I don't have time to journal. I don't have time for self-care and wellness. Like everybody has time for self-care and wellness. Everybody has time. Even if it's only a five minute cup of tea and a few deep breaths in the garden, you will be a better version of yourself and you'll be able to give so much more of yourself to a day. So what is you know? well? What is it about? Is it about mapping out your week, your month? So the journal is a six-month journal, and basically we have a section to set your long-term goals. So that's essentially where you want to see yourself in one to five years, say, um, in a number of different areas in your life. And then, so we go through finance, career and business, self-care and wellness, family and friends, personal development and learning, and then your physical environment. So. We go through them in long term, so one to five years, and then you break them down into short term. So it's the stepping stones you need to get to the long term goal. Okay. So that could be in the next year or so. And then you break it down weekly and then every single day you set goals. Every single thing you do in your day needs to add to a long term goal. Otherwise, what is the point in doing it? And even when Kieran was sick, did you find that a massive help because everything was written down? So you had some kind of a, a plan or a focus? It's about con- I think it's about controlling what yeah. you can control and focusing on the good. Mm. And that's what the head plan is about. It's about really visualising where you want your life to be and manifesting that into existence by writing it down and making it happen, basically. Um, I don't know where we'd be if we didn't do this. We did it every single day. And on my walk out of hospital every night, uh, I used to visualise him walking beside me. Like, I, I just believe it's so powerful. Yeah, and I think I go, I go through such phases of you know, adopting the, this attitude and then like a few days will pass and it's gone again. Do you know that kind of way? And it, it's like retraining and, you know, your that's brain. That's totally normal. Yeah. That's totally normal. And it takes, like if I could give you any advice, even like if you want to try journaling, get a blank notebook, even write down three things that you want to achieve in in any day. And at the end of the day, write down something you're grateful for. Just very yeah. simply, even just to start and try it for 21 days. It takes 21 days to create a habit. But like, really do try and do it. Like, it's so simple. It's even four yeah. lines. So three goals and then one thing you're grateful for. Okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> You'll feel a huge difference. 
No, I can imagine. Because, you know, like even stupid things like making a shopping list or making a list of what you want to do the next day. Those things are so therapeutic. Like they help. They really do. So it's just on a bigger scale. Therapeutic. It's funny, we had the lockdown pack. It's actually just removed from site at the moment because we're doing a slight upgrade. But the lockdown pack was downloaded thousands of times. It was thousands of times. It was basically a free um, introduction to the head plan method. And in that, we had a food planner. So basically, you'd plan out your breakfast, lunch, dinner and snacks for the week. And then it was a shopping list and you'd write up based on your plan for the week. Like, how many times do we walk aimlessly around the supermarket and waste time thinking in our heads, what the hell am I going to cook for dinner on Wednesday? You know? Yeah. It makes such a difference when you write things down and plan and you get so much more time back. And that was Denise Kenny Byrne, the woman along with her husband, Kieran, who's behind the head plan. You can check out Denise on Instagram, but the place to find her journal, which is really beautiful looking as well, is theheadplan.com. And that's where you'll find all the details and the shop as well. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Farmers Markets returned to Kilkenny today with a new venue, their Mountain View near Ballyhale in South Kilkenny. The market is going to be a regular Sunday attraction at Mountain View over the summer months and it's going to showcase craft products as well as local food and creative ways to cook it. Irish Farmer Markets Director Sean McArdle is on the phone with more details. We're also going to talk to Lorraine Kelly from The Roar in County Kilkenny who's one of the stall holders. Hi you Sean. Hi, good morning. Uh, you're very welcome to the Sunday Grill. An exciting day today for farmer yeah. marketeers. We are open now in Mountain View. You opened up at 11. Uh, back with a bang, but a, f- a hard few months, I'd say, was it? It's been very difficult. I run markets all over the country. Um, and I'm associated with quite a lot of markets as well. And uh, yeah, it's been very difficult. That's, uh, it's not been a good, great time. But I think people were very glad to see us, which has been fantastic. And we've had a, a lot of emails and a lot of a lot of people are sort of we're just we're just starting. The markets are just awakening. I know we've been allowed to have them on for the last month, but um, I, I think you know it's just about encouraging, making the markets make people feel safe about coming to a market. Mm-hmm. And I think this market in Bally Hale at Mountain View, um, we've done a lot of work on 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 that aspect. You know, all the storeholders are going to be wearing uh, visors or masks. Um, there's going to be a social distancing. Each store is going to be two metres apart. You, there's going to be a, a zone in front of the store, a metre zone, minimum metre zone, so that when people are buying things, they, you know, they're, they're, it's, uh, it's a safe distance. We've got uh, obviously got hand washing stations around the place. Um, we've actually got a, a, a first aid station with a resident um, uh, registered nurse. Uh, it, it, it is, it, and the outdoor markets are great because you feel safer. I mean, buying over 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 the counter in a small shop, it's very difficult. Mm. You know, having to going just ones and twos and things. Here, well, we're going to we've got four people working for us there. We're going to monitor it very carefully, and make sure there aren't any too many people grouping. Um, it's important. We want people a good experience and feel mm-hmm. safe about coming back. Yeah, and the important thing is that they, we want them to come back the following week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've got some great stores. We've got a, a whole section, a whole indoor section, which is indoor outdoor. It's a big old machinery shed which has been completely revamped and mm-hmm. repainted and redone, and it's open at sides. So, um, although the stores are under cover, 
yeah, the, the sides are open. So it's like okay. being inside out, if you know Great what I mean. Great to hear for Big our stuff. Irish weather, eh? Um, as you said, yeah. you run farmers markets across the country. Does a venue matter? You know, there's a huge amount of farmer, farmers markets that just pop up in maybe car parks in small towns. But um, when something is large and if you want to spend the day there, is the venue very important and where it's it held? Yes, it is. And what Mountain, Mountain View is an estate, so it's got quite it's got some lovely walks around. It's fantastic views. And um, it's got, well, there's, there's a restaurant there, which I think is opening in a couple of weeks. But, I mean, we have food on site. We have Street Food Feast, which is, we have, we have five really good uh, street food stores there. Mm. And there are lots of cakes and lots of things like that. I mean, the opportunity for small uh, producers, the, the, the reason the, I think B wants to do it, B O'Grady, who owns the site, was that she wanted to actually um, let's give small producers the opportunity to come in um, on a regular basis because uh, it's quite difficult with craft uh, um, to, to if you if you're producing something something unusual something interesting and that's what we've got we've got a lot of very unusual uh, uh, craft here and food as well it's a big food Kilkenny is a massive food area it mm-hmm. always has been mm-hmm. and a craft area. But there isn't the opportunity to, for them to showcase their, their products very well, not on a regular basis. There are lots of shows around. But, you know, to have something on a regular basis where they can build a customer base, if you like, where people can come and feel comfortable. And hopefully when the tourists come back, we get the tourists as well. I mean, you know, you've got a, a lot of interesting, unusual stores. Um, the, the great thing about, about market selling is that you're talking to the producer. Mm. That you go along there and you can have a chat and you can, and you can see what, they, what they, 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 they want to show you what they're selling and they want to talk about it. And it, it's relationship selling. It's wonderful. It's much nicer than going into a, a, well, a supermarket. We all do supermarket shopping. But I mean, you know, it's, much, it's, a, it's a much nicer way. And the Sundays are very leisurely, though. You can take your time, you can have a little bit of water, you can go for a coffee, but you can relax. And you, it's a family event. And the great thing about Sunday, during the week, you go to markets, the small markets are great. Because, um, of course, they are. they're local and they're wonderful. It's lovely to have them. Um, but they tend to be sort of, you know, you tend to be focused on buying something. I'm going in to buy my bread. I'm going mm-hmm. to buy my, my vegetables and I'm mm-hmm. gone, you know. Whereas in the Sunday market, you have the opportunity to browse and to walk around and relax. And uh, meet, meet your friends, and, and it's a good meeting point. You know? It is, it is. We're looking forward yeah. to it. Well, I'm also joined by Lorraine Kelly. She's one of the stallholders um, today at Mountain View in Ballyhale in County Kilkenny. She is chemical free, local fresh fruit and vegetables and chutneys as well. And she's on the phone to tell us more. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you feeling about today? Are you excited to be there at the farmer's market? Oh, very much, yes. Yes, it's great to see to be open again. What have those last four months been like for you? Is this is the farmers market something you do as a, a, a side almost, or um, once it shut down, did everything shut down for you? It did. I lost my job in January. Okay. So I've had a couple of months before that just to get used to. I thought I'd take a couple of months off and get back to work, but now with COVID, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm an office manager. So I decided I'm get back and bake. I was baking for my neighbours for the last four months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I decided that because I didn't kill anybody and we were all, um, all I was doing was just baking. And my husband grows his own vegetables and fruit. And I decided that whatever we had left over, I just used them and make use of them. Brilliant. So is this your first experience of having a stall at a farmer's market? This will be. I um, 
I'm part of the Irish country markets in Thomastown on a Saturday. I've been part of that for the last couple of years. Okay. So I've been doing that just on a smaller scale, a lot smaller than what I th- what I'm doing today. Okay. So tell us if people are in Mountain View today and they're looking for you, what sort of stuff are you providing on your store? Ah, well, first first off, my signature dish is Chester cake. Oh, okay. I'm from Dublin initially, so we would have called it car cake. So I've perfected that. Um, I've made a lot of that today. I'm hoping that people will, it's something that people will go for because Explain they know it. Explain what that is, because I can see it in my head. It has like <laughs> a, a brown colour, doesn't it? And a pastry on top, am I it right? It is. Mm. Yes. How it originated was um, the bakeries in Dublin um, would have a lot of bread left over and at the end of the evening they'd come back and put it all into a bucket with tea and soak Ooh, okay. fruit in tea and spices, so cinnamon and ginger and um, put it between two slices, two slabs of pastry. Okay. So it was a slab of a slab and it would keep it going for the day. And in Dublin, basically what would happen, all the lads would be going on the girl. They'd take, just go missing from school. Okay. <laughs> And that's how it got the name Gur Cake because they'd all go into the bakery looking for a slice of it. And as I said, it would be a slab. Okay, and it would keep them going all day when they went it on the would. mitch. Okay. Yes, so that's that's my signature dish. And then my husband has a lot of potatoes coming out of the ground at the moment. And what we tend to do is when you dig them up, you know the ones that you kind of leave over for the hens? Mm-hmm. We don't have hens. So what I do is I boil them up and then bake them in the oven and then curry them or we've got a lot of garlic in the garden at the moment and rosemary so I would cook them up and just put them in containers where you can just buy a pack and stick them in the oven and then the garlic again I've hummus because we've lost the garlic and when garlic is growing it tends to try to go to seed Mm -hmm. you cut them off and you use the seed heads as fresh garlic and they're just gorgeous when it's fresh when garlic is fresh it's good so you really are taking everything that's happening at home and in the garden and bringing it to Mountain View today yes brilliant okay well look best of luck it seems that you have you've created almost a new career for yourself out of lockdown oh yes yes Great. Well, that is Lorraine and you are at Mountain View today along with 30 other stallholders. Um, if you want to check it out there in Ballyhale until four o'clock today. Best of luck. I hope you get lots of customers today, Lorraine. Thank you very much. And um, thank you so much for talking to us this morning, Sean. Take care. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Well, lockdown, as you know, had a profound effect on many businesses and jewellers are no different. Hallmark Jewellers in City Square and Waterford City are back open and have put in place measures to ensure customers' safety. Neve Halligan is the Managing Director of Hallmark Jewellers and she's on the phone to tell us more. Hi, Neve. Hi, Orla. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Do you know what? Don't give out to me. I hadn't thought of jewellers. You know the way we're not allowed to try on clothes and stuff like that? Yes. You can't try on necklaces or rings or... Well, fortunately, we are dealing with some very good Irish companies okay. who were thinking outside the box. And they actually... There was one particular watch company and distributor that brought in sanitising units for the jewellery. So okay. we have UV lamps in store that after each piece that is tried on, we pop them under and it's completely sanitised. Oh, brilliant. So yes, yes, we can let people try on jewellery. Okay. And is that just for that particular watch or for all the different displays? It's all those? pieces of jewellery. It, it completely sanitises everything. And we're doing it continuously during the day. The staff are trained in how to use it. So probably at the start and the end of the day, we're making sure that everything is done that has been tried on. Okay. Wow. That is a real example of thinking outside the box, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about your business and when lockdown started, because I suppose your business in one way is about a lot of couples coming in, not necessarily booking an appointment to buy engagement rings, people buying presents. That all just stopped. But those things, anniversaries and birthdays and, bar- and births continued. Yeah, it's it, been honest. The week we closed, I was very apprehensive, mm. very worried. I genuinely thought it was going to be a week or two, which probably most businesses did, mm-hmm. that we'd be back up and running. When it started going into four and five weeks, I started panicking. I might as well be honest. And I, I think speaking to other business people in the city, I think everybody was the same. Um, our hands were tied. I automatically, my instinct told me, okay, let's get the social media going, let people know we're still there. Mm-hmm. And it everything just evolved from there, I suppose. When I started doing the social media after about a month, people were sending messages like that, birthdays, it all went on, and I actually delivered things myself to people okay. to keep the business active. Okay, so you got some business done during lockdown. Yeah, no, we did. But being honest, Dora, it was really just providing service for my mm-hmm. customers mm-hmm. because... I do have a big customer base built up in 26 years in the business and I want to look after my customers. Of course, of course. Now, then, obviously, um, it moved forward when you could um, open again. How did you feel about that? Again, very nervous, but I have to say there was fantastic support from the Enterprise Board. Um, I did Zoom meetings as to how to adjust my business, how to move forward with it, and they were superb with the information they supplied. Brilliant. Superb. And have you been busy since? Yes. We, when we opened, um, I think people were excited to get back shopping, mm-hmm. back collecting their bits and pieces that they might have had on deposit. And I have to stress how supportive the Waterford people have been. Fantastic. And all very aware of local businesses. Um, I don't even think we needed the media hype. People in Waterford have just been so supportive. That's great to hear. Now, of course, we've heard so much about weddings having been cancelled during lockdown. Now, uh, weddings of 50 people, so many restrictions when it comes to that really special day. How has that affected you as a jeweller? Okay, so when we were closed, I did receive some emails from um, wedding couples and we facilitated them best we could you know people have changed dates and you know it all went pretty seamlessly Mm. and they've come in and maybe extended their deposit layaway system or whatever the case may be Um, but we have noticed a trend that the people are coming back in again now that they have their dates okay okay and they're coming in and buying their bands and buying their engagement rings we are we have changed our strategy a little bit in that we're now encouraging people to make an appointment. It's not 100% necessary. We do like people to drop in, um, you know, just unannounced and we'll, we'll run them through the range. But if we have the appointment, it means that I can give them my undivided attention and, okay. you know, and give them the correct information on what, what they should be going for. And it's such an exciting time for people. It's Lockdown and pandemic and no, or no pandemic. It, it's, I'm, I'm actually enjoying the appointments because it's, it's making it more of an experience. And as you said, it's such a special mm. time for engagements. You know, people like to be treated well and given the correct information. And I'm, I'm enjoy, actually enjoying giving people the extra time. Yeah, that must be lovely. And has it changed the way that people are, apart from the appointment, is it, has it changed the way that they're browsing, especially for things like engagement rings, for that really big day when jewellery is important? I've found that in, with, with queuing, people have just automatically 
formed a queue themselves. Very good. And they're mindful as to how many people are in the shop. I think it's almost like a self-protective um, thing. In so far as it's the, the shopping experience is probably a little bit more measured in that there's less people in the shop, there's less panic, and the people outside that are queuing are waiting and they don't mind waiting. Okay. I haven't had anybody giving out. That's great to hear. And then ring-wise and engagement rings, there's always so many different trends, aren't there? There was the big solitaire, thanks to the J-Lo's and all of the world, yeah, about yeah. a decade ago. Have times changed? What are people looking for these days? What I have noticed since lockdown, love is definitely in the air. We've had some guys coming in on their own, which you'd always get a little bit of off, but there's definitely more guys coming in on their own shopping for rings. So I think it's evoked a little bit of love and a little bit of, okay, let's mark this. You know, we've had a couple of months in lockdown and urge people to change their deci- make their decisions. And I, I, that's what I see is I think people are committing <laughs> after being in lockdown for three months. If you're getting on with somebody, you're definitely going to get on with <laughs> that's them after it forever. that. And what yeah. are they buying engagement rings they're, they're themselves, which would fill me yeah. with a bit of trepidation? Yeah. Or are they buying the promise ring and then bringing the hopefully fiancé in a few weeks later? Well, there's, there's kind of two angles on this. Okay. So we're very active on social media and we always put up, you know, our lovely rings when they arrive or whatever. Guys are coming in with photos. So they kind of have a clear view of what they want. I'm sure the the ladies now are indicating, oh, if I was getting a ring, I'd love that. Yeah. They're coming in with a kind of good view. Okay. We don't have to ask too many. Some guys are just coming in, I want that, please. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of, it, they're very decisive. Um, other than that, with the appointments, we go through everything, everything. We have a huge folio of diamonds. Um, so most girls coming in would know what kind of style they want, you know, mm. or whether they want white gold or yellow gold. Traditional stuff is always popular, as in, like you mentioned, the solitaire, the three stone, but, you know, it's still halos, you know, with the diamond in the centre and a nice circle of diamonds around them. That's always a a popular one. Yeah. What happens then, Neve, if a fella goes off delighted with himself with the engagement ring and he totters back two weeks later to you and says she did not like this ring? Absolutely no problem. We will work with them to get whatever they want. As we don't have in store... We can get touch of a button. We can get whatever they want. We can go through websites and that with them. So generally, if that happens, the girl comes back and then we work on it from there. But being honest, in my 26 years here, I think I might have had one or two back. I think the surprise element and they're just overjoyed to get the ring and the, the whole proposal. I don't think too many girls refuse. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I have a funny feeling don't quote me don't quote me on that <laughs> don't quote me well listen Neve, it's brilliant to hear that you're back open and everything is going so Thanks well so for much. you as well Thank probably you. the best place that people can see everything that you have on offer in Hallmark and City Square in Washford is on your Facebook if you search for Hallmark Jewellers Washford as you said if people are looking to get engaged and to have a browse of engagement rings you can book an appointment of um, course so you can do yes. that there thank you so much for talking to thank me you. this Thank you very much. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Well, there's been lots of talk over lockdown and beyond about school children who are transitioning from sixth class to first year and how they're missing those important memory-making last few months of primary school. Lots of virtual graduations, drive-by celebrations have been held and video shout-outs. One primary school in County Waterford has had some very special guests on their graduation, virtual graduation, including an American actor and former rapper, principal of Ballymacarbury Central School, Michael J. Ryan, is on the phone to tell us more. Hi, Michael. Good morning, Ola. How are you? Good. 
it's very hard times for students this year with restrictions affecting them, but it must be hard for you as a principal as well. Sure, all looks after on all staff, all pupils, all parents, everybody. Unprecedented time since the twelfth of March, the lockdown. But um, you know, it's 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 the sixth class that we would feel sorry for. But once you have a a team working together, like I have the staff working together in the best interests of the children, um, I think we'll get through it, and in the hope that we will be back on the the first of September. And I suppose with a lot of people, like I um, teach further education, so I would have been practically finished my classes by Easter and we would have been doing a lot of projects, whereas it really was a good chunk of the year for sixth class, for four months that they couldn't go to their school. What would they have been doing during those four months usually as they prepare for secondary school? Yeah, well, I, I suppose in the primary school year, it was a third of the year that missed out. And when, when it was called by the Taoiseach to shut down schools on the 12th of March, we all thought, I suppose, in earnest, we'd be back after Easter. We didn't realise that would go on until the end of June. But um, a lot of things would be planned, both curricularly and extracurricularly, at that time of year. We had our confirmation in the school planned. Um, we also had all the things that you would associate with the last term of the last year for, for, for the sixth class people to zone in on them specifically like you would have a, a, a sports day active week school tours um, graduation graduation masses and finishing off the curriculum um, as they would have um, just revised a lot in the last term and done the standardised tests mm. which were cancelled later Okay so a real rite of passage that they're missing um, but you put together a virtual graduation as many schools did um, with something a little bit different a number of stars in it. Tell us a little bit about who you had at your at your video. I suppose um, all the, the background to it is um, that we did do Zoom classes with the upper classes to 4th, 5th and 6th from Easter and we had our weekly staff meeting on Zoom as well and I asked the staff just to put their heads together because parents were hoping that it wouldn't be just finish primary school and go into secondary school without anything uh, but you know we always wanted the physical graduation over the virtual uh, even though we had done a lot of virtual teaching mm. and distance teaching so we did get our heads together as a staff and uh, we came up with a few names and uh, everybody went off and got their own celebrities. We kept it private, I suppose. And um, Johnny B um, from The Two Johnnies was sourced uh, by Miss Bourne, Mr. Early, sourced Niall Quinn. And uh, myself, I suppose, Mark Wahlberg, Miss Dunley had uh, generic messages from Gordon Darcy and Judy Curtin as well. Okay. So we put those together. Plus, um, the teachers each put up a card and we put a message from the staff and we also had uh, shout outs from the previous uh, staff members who had either had even left had either left to go on to be a permanent teacher mm-hmm. or were on career break so that was a blast from the past that they had messages from the previous staff members Now you well. are being very modest there because you very quickly said the name of the American actor and rapper and some people might know him as a singer from New Kids on the Block you got Mark Wahlberg <laughs> Well, yeah, look, I had a link, I suppose. Um, I had a link with Mark Wahlberg. Uh, my uncle is, is a pastor emeritus in America, in Los Angeles, uh, in Good Shepherd Church in Beverly Hills, and he has been there for over 20 years. And uh, I suppose it's what we would call a retired parish priest, but he's still associated with the parish, and uh, Mark is a parishioner at Good Shepherd, and uh, his kids attend the local primary school connected with Good Shepherd Church. So, again, I was lying in bed one night thinking, how would we make this special for the... 32 boys and girls who were leaving sixth class and I said look it's worth an email to my uncle and within 24 hours Mark's secretary was back to me so that's how fast it 
operated. Now, this was early June, but we still had to mm. give it a secret. The staff didn't even know all of them. Myself, Mr. Lee, who put the little package together of all the messages um, of encouragement and support. So, look, I was great. I didn't know whether it would happen or not. I was hopeful it would because my uncle is held a good esteem in, 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 in Los Angeles, you know, by his parishioners. So that came up trumps maybe a bit of divine intervention as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark came back and uh, I was delighted. And uh, I did say that um, I would send maybe a picture of the class and a picture of the school as well. So Mark had them on his person when he was making the message and he held them up. So that made it personal. And I'll tell you, it wasn't only the, 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 the boys and girls that enjoyed it on the night, the parents as well and the I staff. Imagine. So... The suspense was was there until the end. Um, I'm delighted that the others uh, chipped in as well, the likes of Niall Quinn and Johnny B and and Gordon Darcy and um, Judy Curtin to to promote it and help it because, you know, as you said, the people missed out on their rite of passage. Mm -hmm. But what we had planned from that night is we weren't still allowed to go into school as as children and um, what we had planned was an outdoor graduation mm-hmm. and we were hoping even though it was the middle of the summer the 29th of June the start of phase 3 we were hoping that it would be a murky evening because we were projecting imagery up to the side of the local mm. community centre Valley Community Centre who were good enough to give us the use of the outside premises and there was a big car park there so it wasn't a drive by or anything like that it was just that 100 people gathered uh, we kept it to three per family and uh, three or four staff members so that was our 100 and we projected it onto a board on the side of the community village. centre of Bellamacabry village Bellamacabry and outside. we had a virtual yeah we had a virtual water fight that they had compiled <laughs> earlier with their teacher Miss Byrne and we also had a photo story compilation uh, of their life and times in, in, in oh. sixth class the parents association came on board and uh, organised hoodies or sorry uh, class of 20 training jerseys and also a goodie bag from the Parents Association. And um, we had the message of support from the previous and current staff members. So it was, a, it was a, I suppose, a team effort. And oh, the boys and girls lovely. really in, enjoyed it. But they did see each other on Zoom three, three times a week since okay. Easter. But when they got together on the night, it was hard to get a socially distanced photograph, I can tell you, because they were so happy to see each other and be back in each other's companies, you know, because we would have people going to Clamella and Nungarvan and beyond. We would of have a course. lot of different schools. Okay. And yeah. uh, I think the boys and girls enjoyed especially the fact that Mark Wahlberg, and they know Mark Wahlberg being an A-lister from Hollywood, was the last. And um, they felt that, you know, th- their their passage was marked. And, um, you know, I, I, I think we did, and I, I wish schools the best in doing that, because we were going to hold off until August to see could we have a, a physical graduation mm-hmm. in the school, but you know, I I, I think we coped. Oh, I think you did quite well and there, think, Michael. To tell you well, the truth, thanks very much. and I don't think they will forget it in a long time. A, a really unusual time for them, but one that has been marked so spectacularly. Um, thank you so much for talking to me, and a big hello to everyone at Ballymacarbury Central School, but especially the sixth class, as you said, who are going to very many different secondary schools around the southeast in September. Michael, thank you so much for talking to me this yeah, morning. Can I just say, Orla, they've yeah. been a very good class, and you know, and was a right and proper that we do something to market for them and I wish them all the best and their parents and the families who are leaving us as well because 32 in a rural school is a lot to be mm-hmm. leaving in one year mm-hmm. and um, they, were, they, were a, they were a joy and a treat to work with them it was a privilege to do this for them and that's on behalf of myself the staff and the board of management and all concerned with the school Lovely, lovely to hear and listen enjoy your break over the next few weeks and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon Gurabagat Slán the Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. You'll know my next guest, Executive Director of Amnesty International Ireland, founder and former director of One and Four and Wexford man, Colm O'Gorman, who can also add Star Baker to his list of titles. He spent lockdown sharing his recipes from his Wexford home on his Instagram grid and his Corona cooking is also raising funds for Amnesty International. Colm joins me this morning. Did it all start with banana bread, Colm? 
It didn't. There was no banana bread <laughs> to be seen. It actually started with a loaf of soda bread. Uh, or at oh, least I saw that one. Soda bread, yeah. And it's funny no, you I mean, say I was... that. I, I actually tried making soda bread. Soda bread is a funny one. It's all about the salt, isn't it? Because we can be uh, quite okay. bland. It, it, it can be if you don't add a little bit of salt to it, all right. But mm. there's two, I put up two soda bread recipes now. The first one was the, the, the hazelnut and soda bread one, yes. which is just really lovely. And then mm. I did an apple um, soda bread, uh, I think a couple of weeks back now, which is gorgeous. But they're both really simple, to be honest with you. It just, I was heading into, you know, lockdown as much as anybody else gearing up. We'd started fully working from home. We'd moved everybody over to remote working from about the 16th of March. Mm-hmm. And just looking ahead at a period of time where life as we know it was not going to be the same and trying to think about, well, what can I put out in the world that might give people some sort of positive focus, something to look forward to, something to engage with and something a bit different. So on a, on a sit one day, I just said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll put out a recipe every day. I'll set myself that challenge. So I tweeted that I do a recipe a day as part of a Corona cooking thing, mm-hmm. not realizing that that would last for over three months and, you know, come to well over 100 recipes by the time I finished it. And you, sure you just kept going. By April, um, as you said on your GoFundMe page, you were up to 50 recipes and you intended to finish at the end of lockdown. Do you consider this now the end of lockdown or are you continuing? So I finished, I did a poll of people and said, what do people think? Should I, because the, the restrictions had started to ease off. Mm. So um, we decided, uh, it, having heard back from people, that if I, people wanted me to, to take it to 100 recipes. So I think in the end it got to 103 or 104 recipes. Okay. Um, by the time that I finished the, the daily series, now I'll, I'll, I'll keep going with it, I'll post a recipe now and again because people seem to get a lot of fun out of them. And to be honest, I love doing them. It's a, it's a nice kind of creative outlet. And I'm passionate. I love food. I mean, I love cooking and I love food and I love sharing food. So it's a, it's a nice outlet for that as well. Where are you getting these recipes from? Are they family recipes or are you seeing them on different websites? To be honest, all half of them are out of my head at okay. least. You know, I can remember, and, and that's been one of the really interesting things about it. It's, it's really untapped, I suppose, a creative part of myself that I didn't fully know was there. I mean, the idea of coming up with something new every day, um, if I had any sense at all, would have been fairly daunting, but I didn't think about it too much. So sometimes, because I'm working full-time from home, sometimes I'd finish work at sort of seven in the evening, head out for a run and think, good God, what am I going to do tonight? <laughs> and while I was on the run, something would occur to me and I'd come back and, and, and do it and just, just come up with it. So lots of the things were things I've, most of them are actually things I've never cooked before. Some of them I've cooked for years, they're family favourites. Mm. Some of them might have been inspired by things I saw elsewhere or, or, or food I'd eaten or, or things by cooks that I really like and admired or just, they just half of them just occurred to me, to be honest with you. But the whole idea behind them was that I wanted to put up recipes that people could easily do at home that might be a bit novel and a bit different, but that for, in the main part, all of the ingredients, that was one of the challenges I set myself, that all of the ingredients should be things that you could get locally, even during the, the restrictions. Excellent. Um, you know, from a local supermarket. And that's, that's pretty much what I stuck with, bar a couple of recipes that used like a Korean chili powder that you could easily, easily substitute for something else. All of them were, were things that were easily cooked from ingredients that you could find easily locally. And that's what I was going to ask you. Are you someone who's almost a sustainable baker and a sustainable cooker in that, you know, I'm a terror for buying the vanilla essence and finding it two years later because I wanted it for one recipe. Were you trying to use all the things you had in your, in your kitchen a number of times? A lot of the time I'd be trying to come up with stuff that I thought, well, most people are going to have this in their cupboard, never mind things they can go out and get mm. locally. Now, of course, halfway through it, the big challenge became 
flour and yeast became yes. huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I went one on of the phenomena- hunt, yeah. Yeah, exactly. W- one of the phenomena of the whole COVID thing, one of the many ones, but one of, perhaps one of the, the funnier, kind of more interesting ones was the fact that suddenly supermarkets couldn't keep flour in stock. Mm-hmm. And you saw them starting to sell like 14 and 20 kilo bags of flour, which I've never, ever seen before. Um, so yeah, it, it, in the main though, I was I was trying to do things that people would either have most of the ingredients for at home or could get them very, very easily. Okay. Now, are you a sweet or a savoury person? Where where would you lean towards? I love savoury food, mm-hmm. um, but there's nothing like a good sweet dish occasionally too. There's so nothing like, like the, the smell of buns in a kitchen, is there? Well, freshly baked bread is mm. a joy, even though I don't eat a huge amount of bread. But yeah, freshly baked, like muffins. I, I put out I put some some of the recipes that went down a storm were various muffin recipes that people love. Like one of them, there's a blueberry and lemon muffin that I've made for years here that's a real favourite in our house. That was one of the earlier ones that I did. And then because people reacted so well to that, I just came up with some other muffin recipes as I went along and people love those. That's a gorgeous thing to do on a on a, on a weekend morning for brunch you know, get up and have a, a lazy lunchtime kind of breakfast and throw muffins in the oven. You can make them up in 10 or 15 minutes and they only take another 10, 15 minutes to bake in the oven and they're gorgeous. Yeah, yeah so they, they went down a storm. And as you said, you've over 100 recipes now on your Instagram. So it's, it's like its own little social media cookery book. Have you any favourites in there? I think I see you have an, is it an almond and mascarpone layered cake that looks fairly spectacular to me? That was a, a challenge that somebody set me. They wanted a gluten-free sponge cake. Okay. Um, and that's why I came up with that one. That was Now, that's a little bit more involved, but it's still it's still doable. Like, all of the recipes are doable. Like, you just set aside a little bit of time to do them. One like that is easy enough to do. But that was gorgeous. I loved that. Good pavlova. I did for, for Pride. I did a really spectacular Pride pavlova where all of the... I'm not big into food colouring. Mm-hmm. So with, with with love to everybody who loves brightly coloured cupcakes, I'd rather go for getting that colour out of natural ingredients. So I did this pavlova where all of the colours of the rainbow came from the fruit that I used. That wow. was spectacular. And I mean, who doesn't love a good pavlova? Fresh cream and lots of soft, chewy, well, lovely, fluffy so meringue. Mm-hmm. It was a joy. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, they are all up there, as we said, on your Instagram page. If people just search for Colm O'Gorman, um, you are raising money for Amnesty International Ireland. Um, if you just go to your the website, which is justgiving.com and search for Colm O'Gorman, you'll find more details there. You're nearly up to your 10 grand target. I am, Orla, yeah. And, and the, the little uh, offer that I'm making to people is if I hit the target, I'll choose one donor randomly. We'll put all the names in the hat and pull out one. And then I will go and when we're allowed to do this, I will go and cook a meal for that person and their family or friends in their home if I hit the 10 grand target. And we're almost there now. People will find it on Facebook, on Twitter or on Instagram, as you said already. Great. So if you just search for Colm O'Gorman on any of those platforms, Colm, it was lovely to talk to you this morning. Lovely talking to you as well, Orla. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Well, we finish off the Sunday Grill every week with our Donald O'Donoghue from the RT Guide and this week is no different. Hiya. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. I've had a bad run of television this week. How bad was bad? I was watching this thing on BBC, this Australian English type thing. It starred Laura Carmichael, who was in Downton Abbey. Oh, yeah, it was on RT uh, some oh, weeks back. It was Actually, very bad. Yeah, I think you can see the twist coming. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's the problem. Yes. <laughs> really, really bad. Yes. And then I watched the David Foster documentary on Netflix, and it was just okay. 
Okay. Yeah. I, didn't, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. No. It was yeah. grand. I follow his two daughters on Instagram. So I, they were in it a bit. Sorry, we say that? You follow whose daughter? David, Frost? <laughs> David Foster's two daughters, Aaron and Sarah Foster, are quite and big. And why on would Instagram. you be following them? Because <laughs> they're quite <laughs> funny. They're quite oh, funny. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they actually have a show um, that only got two seasons. I think, I can't remember what station it was on, station, what channel it was on, on the, in the States. I think it was a HBO one. It was called Barely Famous. And it was oh. a kind of spoof mockumentary about mm. them being the daughters of a really famous man. It was very good. Okay. Now, there good. you go. Anyway, okay. let's have a chat about uh, reintroducing me to some good television, Donal. Let's start on... Mm. Uh, well, fingers crossed. Yes, yeah. fingers crossed. You've got two very good um, things that I think I'm going to watch. Um, one of them is on Tuesday on BBC Two at 9pm. It's called The Rise of the Murdoch Dynasty. I love stuff like this. Mm. Mm. Okay, this is a two-part actually in BBC Two. It looks okay, fascinating great. actually. It's... Um, I mean, everyone everyone should should know or would know who Rupert Murdoch is. In fact, yeah, you know Succession, the Brian Cox thing, mm-hmm. loosely based on the Murdoch family. I would suspect. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. Anyway, but uh, yeah, this is the rise and rise of the of the Murdoch fam- dynasty, as it's called here. Um, it's it, it's kind of, it begins in nineteen. Uh, over the last forty years, for example, no British prime minister. Just a little fact out for you. No British prime minister. No British Prime Minister became Prime Minister without the backing of the Murdoch newspaper empire. That's okay. interesting, isn't it? Wow. And this, this documentary begins in 1995 when a young uh, Labour uh, leader called um, Tony Blair mm-hmm. uh, decided to, uh, to get on his jet and fly halfway around the world to uh, um, Rupert Murdoch's private island to have a meeting with him and discuss how he may get the Prime Ministership, oh. which he duly did. Yeah, so it's like he's basically a power broker. He's a power. He's a kingmaker and a king breaker, you know. Um, okay. Rupert Murdoch and has, and like his rise and rise is like it's phenomenal, you know. And this is like kind of looking behind all that scenes. It's been told before, but I'm, I would be interested in watching this again, you know. Definitely, and he has so many fingers and so many pies. For example, if you watch the Charlie's Theron and Margot Robbie movie earlier on this year, Bombshell. Um, he owned, isn't it? Rupert Murdoch owned Fox at that stage. Someone played him. He did actually, him. which he sold to Disney for umpteen billions. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so his two sons are involved yeah. in the media as well. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, he's got. I mean, the, the Times of London. He's got the the tabloid tabloid newspapers. He's got the famous. He got Fox News. That's one of his as mm-hmm. well, of course. Yeah. So yeah. So he is. And I mean, also rumored to be, um, as it comes across in documentaries as well, how how involved he was in Trump's. Um, Rise to become US president in 2016 as well. Okay, interesting. Of course, that. this so, yeah. man must be in his... And he's married to Jerry Hall. Yes, incredibly, yeah. Mm. Married a few times. He's married to Jerry Hall, yeah, yeah. But he must be what? About 89? Oh, he is 89. I just looked it up there. Well done. Is he 89? I don't yeah. think he is. He's, he's 89. Is he? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, according to Wikipedia. Okay, mm, Wikipedia. <laughs> well, he is 89. You are, you are very right, actually, yeah. I Thank wrote a piece about him last week, actually. He's 89 years old, actually. Yeah, there that's incredible. Go. Okay, so a lot mm. of stuff to talk about on Tuesday, a two-parter, BBC Two. Oh, actually, actually, I think it's three, sorry, pardon me, it's three parts, actually. Three parts, yeah, that's three how parts. much there Even is more. to tell. Yeah. Exactly, big story. It's called The Rise of the Murdoch Dynasty, and it's 9pm, it kicks off on Tuesday at BBC One. Another one that I think I'm going to really enjoy, it's called The Plot Against America. I'm feeling it's a documentary but probably not 9pm Sky Atlantic and it's going to be on Now TV if you want to check it out as well it's called The Plot Against America it's based on the Philip Philip uh, Philip Roth novel very okay. famous for Philip Roth novel which I've read actually um, and it's it's, it's um, brought to screen by the creator of The Wire David Simon oh, and the credentials here are very good because it's got uh, Zoe Kazan it's got John Turturro it's got a Belfast born actor called Anthony Brophy and it's got uh, Winona Ryder who's very much in the news at the moment she as well is? of course mm. yeah mm. and they're in this so it's basically it's an alternate history drama Okay. And set in it's set in New York City, and um, and set in the time when the you know around the time of the Limburgs and um, 
It's uh, well, the history, history of the time of a family. Chase follows a working class Jewish family who are living in New Jersey. And uh, kind of like an alternative history, what, what if history, you know? And looks, okay. it looks really impressive, actually. Great. Okay, um, I'll check that out. Uh, definitely worth one for one to record. I'll definitely okay. be watching this one, I think, yeah. Brilliant. That's on mm. Tuesday as well. It's called The Plot Against America. It's on at 9pm on Sky Atlantic if you have that. And if not, it's on Now, now TV as well. Okay, let's talk gardening. Not really anything I talk about a lot, but I think in the lockdown, people have been finding different hobbies. And this one is 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 very of its time because it's called Gardening Together with Dermot Gavin. Yes, actually, yeah, it's at 8 o'clock on Friday, Gardening Together on RT1. Um, I watched a bit of it, actually. It's, okay. It really is. It's Dermot Gavin in his lovely house down in, uh, in Wicklow, in his lovely garden as well, actually taking calls from people around the country and telling them how they should fix their garden. Uh, what to do, various things to do. Um, did you watch Derek Bannon and Dermot Gavin doing yes. their... Did you watch that, okay? Yes, um, the You remember the thing with the pa- pampas grass? Yes. Yeah, well, pampas grass reappears in this as well, actually. All right. Yeah, yeah there, there we go. Um, <laughs> it's the crazy paving of 2020, is it? And yeah, but no, it's, it, has a, it has a significance, a certain okay. significance. Pampa, you, don't, you don't know this. No, this like, apparently, I didn't know this when I watched the Dermot Gavin thing and the Dermot Bannon thing last year. If you have this. pampas grass in your front garden, okay. it means that you are a swinger. So it's like a, a coded <laughs> message. Yes, there we go. <laughs> Actually, They're I, checking I spoke, every garden I know. <laughs> exactly. Jim, Jim McGavin was, um, Jim McGavin, I spoke to him last week and he said that some one client of his rang up uh, who had got, a, got his garden done by Jim McGavin and the client rang up after watching the Dumber Bannon thing says, uh, Jim, uh, by the way, uh, did you have any pampas grass in my garden plant? Oh yeah, I planted some. <laughs> he lied. He said, yes, I planted some in your front garden. <laughs> but it does pop up in this one. And as you said, it's very much, this, this show on Friday is very much a lockdown show because it's, um, it's all done remotely. So Jimmy Gavin's on his, on his laptop to various people around the country who have obviously gardening problems. One person actually has inherited or bought a garden which is just covered in decking, which was the cravy, oh, yes. which was the cravy paving of the 1990s. Remember, yes. decking everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. So he just wants to get rid of it now. So I'd say for people who are interested in Tips for the gardening. I mean, it's still still very relevant, obviously. It's tips for the gardening: what to do, what not to do. Uh, pampas grass, obviously, not to do. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, and also people like Helen Dillon pop up as a consultant as well. So there's people like that, experts in the field who who give their opinions for it as well. I will give yeah. that a go. And do you know why I'll give that a go? Because I like Dermot Gavin. He's quite funny, you know. He is, and he's, he's he's actually quite a yeah, charismatic. Quite yeah. yeah, brilliant. That's on Friday at eight pm on RT One. It's called Gardening Together with Dermot Gavin. Then the two Tuesdays are the Plot Against America, nine pm. Sky Atlantic on Sky, on Now TV also if you want to do it that way and also on Tuesday BBC 2 9pm The Rise of Murdoch The Murdoch Dynasty that's a three-parter Donald thank you so much Thanks Ola The Sunday Grill with Crane and Crane Insurance To compare motor and home insurance quotes across multiple different insurers see craneandcrane.ie